WWDC has come and gone, and before you ask, no, I will never call it Dub-Dub. But Apple had an impressive list of upgrades to announce, and we're going to talk all about it. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we're going to be breaking down everything that came out of WWDC Developers Conference, and it's... It's a lot. Apple has new updates for iOS 15, macOS Monterey, watchOS, and more, and we will get to all of that. But first, we have to get to the news of the week. Before we get started with the news, I need to enter an official apology on the record, and that apology goes directly to OnePlus. You see, last week I kind of made fun of OnePlus a little bit. It's what I do. But for making supercharging their thing with the OnePlus 9 Pro. Well, as it happens this week, as I was writing my script and preparing to head out for the night, I noticed that my phone was down to like 30%. And so I said, shoot, I should charge that up. So I plugged it into the supercharger, and sure enough, I went from 29% to 70% in 11 minutes. Just Holy crap, dude. Like, I literally said out loud, are you kidding me? It was crazy fast. And in this one particular case, it saved my bacon just a little bit. I mean, I did battery charging tests, but this is a real-world application that made all the difference for me. That being said, I still say supercharging isn't a feature to build a flagship around, so that part of the argument still stands. But I will say I am sorry, OnePlus. Fast charging is pretty dope. And by the way, in the time it took me to write this part of the script, the phone charged another 11%. Jesus H. Christ. This week saw a new theme park open at Walt Disney's California Adventure in Anaheim, California. The park is called Avengers Campus, and it has a lot of nods to the Marvel franchise of movies. Gizmodo has an amazing write-up on the whole park, but the part I wanted to talk about was the part dedicated to Spider-Man called Web Slingers, A Spider-Man Adventure. This is a ride similar to the Toy Story Midway Mania, where you're in a car and you're basically moving throughout the Avengers Campus and stopping at various sections where you shoot webs at robot spiders. The thing is, you don't shoot webs with guns. You actually just flick your wrist and shoot webs out of it. Disney is using a brand new motion tracking technology, basically an Xbox Kinect on steroids, and you just flick your arms and out shoot spider webs. Putting aside how potentially creepy that may look, it's actually kind of cool, and that's the part I wanted to talk about because... It's just so cool. Gizmodo commented that they'd like to see the stops be a little bit longer where you can shoot more robot spiders, but then admitted that it's a bit of a workout as it is, so maybe it's a good thing they don't stop any longer. Wouldn't do to have people walking off the ride with their arms in casts, after all. It's a fun ride, and well done, Disney. I can't wait to try it for myself sometime. Jeff Bezos announced this week that he'd be flying to space in the next month alongside his brother. Blue Origin, Bezos' space company, has a new Shepard rocket and capsule combination designed to autonomously fly 62 miles above the Earth. The journey will take around 10 minutes, four of which Bezos and Bro will be above the Kármán line, which denotes the boundary between the atmosphere and space. 
kinda cool. Seats on the new Shepard spacecraft are currently going for $2.8 million per, so if you were wondering, Mark Bezos, how much your brother loves you, he loves you almost, but not quite, $3 million, which would be great, except $3 million is basically what Jeff Bezos finds in his couch on a regular basis. Still, the new Shepard rocket has flown 15 consecutive successful missions and three successful escape tests, which show that passengers can live in case things go to hell. Good to know. Personally, this is one I'm going to want to wait until the beta test is over before strapping in. Oh, and I need to raise $2.8 million first, and you know, not having anything better to do with $2.8 million. We've talked about feature drops on the show before, and another feature drop came to Pixel phones this month. This feature drop includes locked folders for Google Photos that was announced at Google I.O. last month. Google told you it was so your kids didn't see the puppy you were buying them for their birthday, but let's be honest... It's for porn. We're also getting that heads-up feature that Google previously talked about that reminds you to look up when you're walking and reading on your phone. Google Assistant can also answer or reject calls with your voice. There were some regional expansions of features and some Pixel owners had that others didn't. My favorite one by far has to be Astro Videography. This is basically Night Sight, but for videos. It's only for Pixels 4 and later, which kinda sucks, but basically you can set the time of exposure and not only will you take incredible starscapes, but you'll be able to see the motion of the stars fast forwarded across the sky. It sounds potentially neat, though I had little success with astrophotography because I live near a big city, and when I say near, I mean within 200 miles. It'll be fun testing that with the Pixel 5a when I review it later this year. This week saw the activation of Amazon's Sidewalk Network. Sidewalk is a long-range mesh network created in your neighborhood by your Amazon devices, like Echoes and Ring doorbells. These devices all broadcast anonymous signals that can detect beacons like Amazon's dog tag that will help you find your lost pet. The thing is, Sidewalk works by having all these Amazon devices detect and transmit the beacon's location using your Wi-Fi. So a tiny little piece of your bandwidth will be used to transmit this info and here's the thing it's opt-out not opt-in basically Amazon is gonna start using your Wi-Fi without asking your permission unless you deliberately turn it off this has caused some consternation in the tech community whose mommies didn't teach them how to share and I get their concerns but honestly building an anonymous mesh network like this is one of the best ways that anyone can create tracking beacons like dog collars without relying on GPS cellular connectivity or selling a billion iPhones and it's totally not cool that Amazon is is using people's networks and devices without asking. But at the same time, it's such a tiny piece of your bandwidth, like maybe megabytes per month. And in the spirit of technological innovation, I gotta side with Amazon here. The thing is, if you ask people to let you use their network, they're gonna be like, oh no, you can't use my network. Oh my God, are you kidding me? That would be such a breach of privacy. And the number of people who will read and follow directions in articles like the one I linked to in the show notes is significantly smaller than the number who would willingly say yes. And by the way, all of you did say yes when you agreed to the terms and conditions of Alexa and Amazon devices. It's in there, and you didn't bother to read it, so shame on you. That, of course, is not a valid argument, but it is the argument that Amazon's lawyers will use when, not if, but when, the lawsuits start getting filed over this. 
The first episode of Loki dropped this week. It's the continuation of Loki's story after he picks up the Tesseract in the middle of Avengers Endgame and disappears. We get to find out what happens. I won't give anything away, but it turns out the God of Mischief isn't done mischieving just yet. If you haven't watched it yet, I highly recommend it. It's admittedly... Not as funny as the trailers made it seem, but it has a good bit of comedy and drama and seems to be telling an interesting story, so I'll be watching it as it comes to Disney Plus one Wednesday at a time. I kind of wish they would release all the episodes at once, but at the same time, it's not like I didn't have work to do last Wednesday, so it's probably a good thing that they didn't. So far, I'm quite enjoying Marvel's television bids. WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki all have good stories to tell, and I like the fact that Marvel is trying to tell them. MWC, the rescheduled trade show that basically everyone except MWC itself has pulled out of, looks to get a little more virtual and interesting as Samsung announced a press conference, a virtual press conference that is, for the trade show. The subject? Wear OS. Really? Well, that could be interesting as hell. We'll finally start to get some fruits of the Google-Samsung collaboration. This has been called a brilliant idea that could lead to a ton of innovation or a desperate last gasp of a couple of wearable platforms with no direction combining resources to hopefully finally sell some smartwatches. Which ends up being the case remains to be seen, but it'll be interesting to watch, no pun intended. On a related note, what are you waiting for, MWC? Just cancel the damn show or declare it to be all virtual already. The only people who are going are going to be a handful of startups, a handful of telecom companies, and employees of MWC. No one else is coming. Not OEMs, certainly not journalists. This is shaping up to be a real shit show, and everyone seems to know it except MWC. Good luck, Barcelona. On Tuesday this week, a large portion of the internet just stopped working like, oh, whoopsie doodle, no more internet for you, yeah. Companies like CNN, The Guardian, PayPal, and The Verge were all taken down for about an hour or so. It was so desperate that The Verge actually started reporting on the outage from a shared Google Doc. And by the way, Verge, way to think on your feet. Ironically, Twitter, the cesspool that it is, stayed online so people were able to properly freak out about it. The issue is traced back to a company called Fastly, which is a content delivery network, or CDN for short. It turns out that Fastly kind of screwed up on its configuration and then just rolled it out worldwide. Maybe do a little more QA testing on that before pushing the configuration change to the entire frickin' world, huh, Fastly? Fastly found and corrected the error within the hour, which is good because it happened super early in the morning, so at least not many people were affected. Estimates suggest approximately $29 million in ad revenue were lost during that time, which sucks for sure, but it really could have been a lot worse. As for benefitofadoubt.com, it may have been affected, but it was like 5 a.m. and I was sound asleep, so whatever, I guess. Oh, and Fastly stock prices? Up 10% the following day, which makes zero sense whatsoever. This week, Sony rolled out its WF-1000 XM4 earbuds with epic noise cancellation, cheat charging, and an 8-hour battery life. Sony's speak-to-chat feature is there as well. That detects the wearer's voice and pauses the music or podcast that you're listening to and automatically turns on ambient noise mode so you can talk to people without having to, well, do all of that manually. Samsung has a similar feature on its, its earbuds, which I'll talk about next week, and I found to be, eh, just okay. 
But anyway, Sony makes really great headphones and earbuds by all reports, so these should be pretty baller. The thing is, though, these things are coming out at a hefty $279.99, which is just... Yikes! That's a high price tag for a set of earbuds. And I have no doubt that these earbuds are awesome. I'm just not sure that they're an Andrew Jackson short of $300 great. Even the Samsung Buds Pro are just $199, but honestly, you never have to pay $199 for them. I could see these buds slotting in and around that price range, but I've never heard them nor held them. So honestly, what do I know? I do know that I'll never pay $280 for them, and honestly, that's all I really need to know at this point. We're going to talk about WWDC for our top story today, but one thing that kind of flew under the radar is that iOS 15 will have a built-in authenticator app in the settings app, and that's kind of cool. Two-factor authentication is legit and a great way to keep your account safe. In fact, if you haven't turned on two-factor authentication on an account you own, you should probably do it as soon as possible. That being said, building the authenticator into the operating system is cool, but I'm not sure Apple's doing it right, because the thing is, the settings app is kind of a disorganized mess in iOS, and I'm not sure shoehorning in another service like 2FA is going to make things better or worse. Honestly, I would rather get a text message or open a separate app than look for 2FA in the settings app. To me, this is one area where installing a separate app is not a bad thing. Google Authenticator has never been awesome for me, but I do use Authy for a few services I use, like Discord and my work at LifeWire. If Apple makes an attempt at showing users how to use this and encourages them to do so, then I guess I'll call this a good thing. Otherwise, it's going to be an also-ran that will probably never see the light of day, but Apple included it because privacy. So in short, it could be awesome, or it could just make the settings app that much more messy. This is one of those stories that's basically a rumor, and you know how we feel about rumors here, but this one feels like it's worth talking about. XDA developers found a feature that might be added to Google Assistant in the not-too-distant future. This feature includes quick phrases, which is another way of saying you'll be able to ask Assistant to do things without saying OKG okay, at the beginning of the phrase. Now, that is cool, and it's another step towards our Star Trek future of just being able to ask the computer to do anything, so I'm digging it. But I do have a concern. It took podcasters years to learn to say OKG okay, instead of you know, the other thing. So we didn't accidentally trigger Google Assistants around the world. Now, this is going to be a whole other list of phrases podcasters are going to have to learn not to say so we don't trigger other actions. We're just getting this down, Google, and now you got to start throwing a wrench in the gears? I mean, I guess it's okay, but if podcasters start setting off your Google Assistant in the future, we're going to know who's to blame, won't we, Google? At the end of the day, the most vulnerable part of any security precaution you put into place is the humans in charge of implementing it. And that's exactly how hackers broke into EA Games servers and stole just a ton of data. According to Vice, the hackers lifted 780 gigabytes of data, including source code for FIFA 21 and source code for the Frostbite engine that EA uses to build games like Battlefield. And the way they got in... They bought a $10 cookie on the web and used that to access EA's Slack. From there, they convinced an IT person twice to give them a login token by claiming they left their phone at a party the other night. Now, if I'm the manager of that IT department or those IT 
people. We don't know if it was the same person or more than one person. But whoever they are, they are a whole other level of fired. Because in that situation, an IT person's job is quite simple. Oh, you left your phone at a party last night? Well, that sounds like a whole lot of your problem. Period. End of conversation. Look, dude, I'm sorry you left your phone at a party, but your choices here are pretty simple. A, get that phone back, or B, use a company-issued phone that you don't take to parties. Call your manager, and they can put in the proper procedures to get this taken care of. I don't care that you're on a deadline. I don't care that you're going to get fired. My number one job is to keep our data safe. Helping users fix their screw-ups like this? Not even on my radar course they'd have to say it way nicer than that but that's the gist of it and by the way if this ever legitimately happens to you like you actually do lose your phone at a party don't call it expecting them to help you out it's not their jobs just fix the problem as fast as you can and leave your poor it person out of it you know how much they hate their jobs for god's sakes they have to talk to you for a living that's how much they hate their jobs so just cut them a break and don't lose your phone cool cool Elon Musk revealed a Tesla Model S Plaid on a late-night live stream on Thursday night, which I tuned into briefly because I was still working, because of course I was. I watched the beginning of it where Elon grabbed the mic and hopped up on stage, and I gotta say, Elon's awkward, off-the-cuff delivery style is either irritating or endearing, and I can't decide which, but I think it's more the latter. Putting this dude up on stage in the same week as WWDC really shines a spotlight on how awkward a presenter he is. Regardless of how you feel about it, I kind of like it, but I also crave something with a bit more polish. Anyway, some of the comments from the part I saw last night include Elon saying that physics is the law and everything else is a recommendation. That's cute. There were multiple 420 references groovy. In terms of the car itself, there were some holy crap statistics. The car can charge up to 187 miles in range in 15 minutes, and it can go from 0 to 60 in less than 2 seconds, which would be amazing to experience, assuming you survive. And it has a 200 mile per hour top speed, which you can't hit legally anywhere in the United States, so kind of what's the point. Anyway, sales of the $129,990 car start this week, and you can go buy one if you have an extra $130,000 laying around. And finally, speaking of driving a Tesla and surviving the experience, Tesla is looking for self-driving test drivers around the world. Electrek found job listings for ADAS, or Advanced Driver Assistance Systems, in their vehicles. It's kind of like the last line of defense before paying customers who have beta access test the service. Job listings include New York and Chicago, oh hey, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia and Miami, and also include Toronto, Paris, Milan, and Barcelona. What the job listing doesn't specify is whether or not you have to actually own a Tesla in order to become a tester. Some other interesting notes from the job listing, quote, must be comfortable driving prototype vehicles during testing that may lack safety features or contain safety risks. Um, what? And then there's also, quote, ability to multitask, prioritize, and work in an extremely fast-paced environment. Like, how fast-paced? Like, 70 miles per hour fast-paced? Yeah, let's not multitask there, I'm thinking. And if you're wondering if I applied to be a test driver, all I'm going to say is, <laughs> maybe. This 
Last week, we got the second biggest Apple show of the year, WWDC, also called Dub Dub by People I Hate. The Worldwide Developers Conference is Apple's annual showcase of what's coming up in its operating systems, including iOS, iPadOS, macOS, and watchOS. So here are my notes from the Developers Conference. First of all, my overall impression was it was a good show. Apple's bringing a lot of cool features to the table this year. Yes, some of them are blatant copies of stuff Google has been doing for years. Whatever, get over it. But in a very Apple-y way, some of those copies are easier and more elegant than the original Google versions, proving yet again, you don't have to be first, you just have to be better. Now, Apple started off with a bang with some FaceTime announcements, and I'm going to move those announcements to the end of this little allegory because I have a lot of thoughts on the subject. So we're going to jump straight into iMessage updates. One thing iMessage is getting is the ability to stack multiple photos sent to you from a contact. You can swipe through them, and it's a much cleaner way to send a lot of photos all at once. I kind of dig that. Apple also introduced a shared with you section to a number of its apps, including photos, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, and more. And a lot of this seems centered around messaging, like I can share a podcast with you in messages. From there, if you open the podcast app, there will be a section there called shared with you that shows you the shared podcast and who sent it to you. The same goes for movies, music, photos. There's a bunch of apps that's going to have shared with you, and that's nice. What I'm wondering, though, is how long those things are going to stay in the shared with you section like if i get sent a podcast and i subscribe to it does it then get moved from the shared with you section to my subscriptions or is the podcast app going to hang the fact that karen recommended this podcast to me forever like i get it thanks karen i like the podcast you sent me three years ago can we stop talking about it now Apple also reworked notifications and made them probably less slightly shitty than they are now. I'm sorry, but I saw nothing in the presentation that indicates that they're going to be anything but a dumpster fire. Apple, seriously, just copy Google straight up. You'll be so much better for it. Apple's also setting up various focus modes, which could potentially be cool, but also sounds like a lot of micromanaging to set up correctly. Basically, the way focus mode works is you set up like a work focus mode and only work-related notifications will ring through on your phone. Other stuff like that annoying game that keeps popping up saying, hey, you played me three days ago and not since, how about you come play again? That doesn't show up and frankly, it should never show up, but that's a different conversation. Anyway, again, this sounds cool, but it also kind of sounds like it might be a pain to set up. Live text is one of those things that Apple is basically ripping straight off from Google. It's basically Google Lens, where you point your camera at a whiteboard and you get all the text off of it and you can copy and paste it. It will also grab phone numbers from photos and dial them for you, stuff like that. One cool thing is that live text is going to be implemented into your photo library along with Spotlight Search. So theoretically, if you once took a photo of a menu, you can search Spotlight for it and it should find that photo for you. It's probably a stupid example. Okay, let's say you took a photo of a group of friends in front of Navy Pier. Then you can search for Navy Pier and it should find the text from the Navy Pier sign or something. I don't know. Live text can also identify plants, pets, places, you know, stuff that's not text, but it is Google Lens stuff, so I guess it's all lumped in. Anyway, 
Photos is also going to create memory mixes, which is sort of like what Google Assistant does with your photos, combining them together and putting them to music. The difference here is that Apple will be using music from Apple Music, so it's probably more popular and contemporary. Also, the photos and videos will switch on the downbeat automatically. Even if you change the music, photos will switch the timing so the switch is on the downbeat, and that's kind of neat. Moving on to Wallet, Apple will start adding home keys, office badges, and hotel keys to your phone and wallet. Marriott is on board and will deliver your hotel key to your phone when it's time to check in. And that's actually kind of badass. It's the kind of thing that I'd love to see Google do if Google didn't have to fight with like 10 other OEMs all trying to do their own stupid wallet and payment and rewards card systems. Just take control of that stuff, Google. You can do it. We believe in you. Also coming to Apple Wallet is Digital ID with participating states, and I can promise you Illinois is not freaking one of them because Illinois barely has real ID. Like, I have to fly with my passport because Illinois sucks so much. Anyway, Apple wants to put your driver's license on your phone in the secure element so it's nice and safe. The question I have is, how are you going to show this digital ID to police? Are you going to have to unlock your phone? Because police really like it when you unlock your phone for them. Oh, and speaking of flying, the TSA will be among the first to accept digital IDs. The weather app got an update. Woot. Moving on. Apple Maps got some updates, which had already been discussed earlier, like crosswalks on roads and stuff like that. Nothing fantastic, but, you know, neat. Apple is also trying the AR directions that Google tried a few years back, like when you come up out of the subway and you hold up your phone and scan some buildings, and then a big friendly arrow shows you where to go. It didn't work for Google, but it probably will for Apple because, you know, Apple. AirPods got some updates, including a DIY hearing aid function, which is potentially useful. They also added separation alerts for when you leave your AirPods behind. Kind of surprised they didn't have that already, but hey, they're getting them now. iPadOS got some big improvements, including a whole new multitasking interface, which looks a lot more usable than the current implementation. There was also an update to notes that allows you to mention people in shared notes and get an update on things that have changed in a note since you last viewed it, which is great for teams that use notes for some reason. There's probably a dozen of you out there, so enjoy that. Apple also introduced a quick notes feature, which is kind of cool. It can be swiped up from the corner and attached to an app. Like if you're in Safari and you open a quick note and write something down from a web page, that note will remember that URL and that it was attached to Safari. I'm not 100% how useful that is, but it sounded kind of cool. Apple also showed off basically Google Translate for iPad. You hold up your iPad and speak, and the app automatically translates to a different language. Then someone else speaks in a different language, and it translates that in real time. You don't have to push any buttons or anything. So that's kind of cool. Then there was a bunch of programming stuff and privacy stuff, which I'm sure was simply amazeballs. But if you want to learn about that stuff, you will not get it here. Sorry, not sorry iCloud is getting some new features like a built-in VPN and Hide My Email, which is a randomly generated email address that you can discard whenever you want. There was some Apple Watch stuff, which can tell you when you're not walking steadily and can warn you if your walking steadiness is decreasing over time and you're at risk of falling, like last Friday, for example, for me. But again, different conversation. Clearly, Apple is scraping the bottom of the barrel in the health department. You can also share health data with family so you can know if mom is breathing heavily or has an increased heart rate. 
Will this be a way to get notifications when your mom has sex? Well, you can do with that data what you will. One of the Halo features that Apple showed off was universal control. Basically, you remember Sidecar, which Apple announced last year? Well, it kind of one-upped it this year with this universal control. Now, Apple didn't detail any setup that was necessary here. It's just basically, if you set your iPad down next to your MacBook, you can move your cursor over to your iPad and use your MacBook's keyboard and mouse on the iPad. That's pretty awesome. And I've never had the chance to use Sidecar nor Universal Control, but I'm kind of kicking myself every day for switching to Windows, because damn, that's cool. So let's switch back to FaceTime. Apple started off the presentation with FaceTime, but I'm ending on it because it's going to be a longer section. So FaceTime is bringing audio improvements to FaceTime, including spatial audio. And by the way, spatial audio is a theme through like a bunch of stuff in WWDC. Anyway, you're going to get spatial audio and voice isolation. Think noise cancellation for your microphone. You're also getting a grid view for your FaceTime, which is apparently a big deal. I've honestly only ever used FaceTime once, and it was for the Geared Up podcast. Shout out to Andrew and Jonathan. FaceTime is also adding a portrait mode, which is basically background blur. Now, this is the big news. FaceTime is adding FaceTime links that you can send to your friends to join a FaceTime call. And these links work on Windows and Android as well by putting them into a browser. So yeah, you heard that right. FaceTime is now possible on Windows and Android. And basically what all this means is Apple is coming after Zoom hardcore because basically all the stuff that I just described is FaceTime now with 100% more Zoom. Oh, and you can share your screen on a FaceTime call, but that's not all you can share because Apple also introduced SharePlay, which allows you to share and simultaneously play music, movies, or share your screen at the same time as your friends. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to watch movies with other people, let alone intentionally calling people up and watching a movie with them so that they can talk over the movie. Maybe that's just a thing you folks do, but it's not a thing I'll ever do. Regardless, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, HBO, TikTok, ESPN, NBA, and Paramount+, Plus are all on board. And I'm going to quote Neele Patel here on this, but the overall theme for WWDC was, that sounds great, but how the hell is all of this going to work? And there are a lot of services that I covered that you could fairly ask that question about, but I want to focus on SharePlay. Like, how is SharePlay going to work? Are both people... Or all people on the call going to have to have those same subscription services to play the next season of Star Trek Picard? If I don't have Paramount Plus, but my friend does, can I get them to play it and let me watch it? I mean, that seems like a fairly obvious thing, but Apple never said, oh, by the way, you will both need to subscriptions in order to watch. It's a very simple thing to say. I just said it, but Apple never said it. Does that mean you both don't need the same service? There's just a lot of questions here. And if you're thinking to yourself, is that all that Apple announced? Even though I just spent the last, what, 15 minutes telling you all the stuff Apple announced? No, that was not all Apple announced. There was so much more that I glossed over, either because I wasn't interested in it, or it was techno nerdy crap that I don't understand, or because I've already been talking about this for 15 minutes and I'm frankly kind of sick of it. Maybe all of the above. But those were my highlights to WWDC, which I swear to God and sunny Jesus, if you ever call Dub Dub in my face in front of me, 
you will get an insta throat punch. So that's going to do it for today's podcast. I'd like to thank Apple for making WWDC free for me to watch, even though I didn't watch anything beyond the keynote. I'd also like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs>